Stay up to date and engage with the financial world. You're listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. It's no secret that Europe, and especially the UK, has been having a bad year. This summer, Britain's inflation rate exceeded 10%, the first time it has reached double digits in the past 40 years. On September 27th, the British pound fell to $1.07, the weakest it has been since 1985. It has recovered somewhat thanks to intervention from the central bank, but is still down more than 15% for the year, making it one of the worst performing currencies of any major country. The British stock market has crashed, with its price-to-earnings ratio reaching the lowest level since the EU debt crisis of 2011. Even the Bank of England admits that the situation is growing dire. They recently predicted that the country will fall into a 15-month-long recession in the fourth quarter of this year. The situation has gotten so bad that Prime Minister Liz Truss resigned in disgrace on October 20th, after taking office just 45 days prior. This makes her the shortest-serving Prime Minister in the country's history. Her downfall was catalyzed by her budget proposal, which called for spending over £100 billion on energy subsidies while simultaneously cutting taxes. You don't need a PhD to understand that massively increasing government subsidies while lowering taxes will cause a budget deficit and inflation to explode. Emerging market is a discreetly condescending term used to describe poor countries that aspire to become rich. This includes many of the countries that Britain used to colonize back in its imperial days. The fiscal recklessness of the trust government is the type of thing you'd expect from third world countries, and economists are now comparing Britain itself to an emerging market. So what happened? Just a couple generations ago, Britain controlled the largest empire in human history. How did they find themselves in such a desperate situation today? Like almost every country, the UK economy was hit hard by the pandemic in 2020, with lockdown orders forcing thousands of businesses to close their doors. To avoid a complete economic collapse, the government spent hundreds of billions of pounds on stimulus efforts, the most notable of which was a so-called furlough scheme. This scheme gave businesses grants equal to 80% of staff wages to continue paying them, even when the lockdowns made it impossible for them to do their jobs. The idea is for small businesses like restaurants and pubs to continue operating as going concerns. When the lockdowns finally ended, they'll still have their staff on payroll, so they can go back to their normal operations as if nothing had happened. The scheme worked very well. Despite facing a once-in-a-hundred-year pandemic, unemployment peaked at just 5%. As lockdowns were lifted in 2021, unemployment quickly decreased back to pre-COVID levels. Of course, this did not come without a cost. The government had to borrow hundreds of billions of pounds to fund the stimulus programs, at the same time that tax revenue was falling. But this wasn't viewed as a problem because the Bank of England took interest rates down to zero and implemented a quantitative easing program to buy all the bonds the government wanted to sell. Maintaining consumer demand with the furlough scheme at the same time that aggregate production is falling is inherently inflationary as there's more money chasing fewer goods. This was probably a good trade-off to make as the furlough scheme and other stimulus measures prevented a massive wave of bankruptcies that would have taken many years to recover from. But it also caused inflation to increase substantially, crossing the 5% mark by the end of 2021. And things were about to get a lot worse. In February of 2022, Putin officially announced his special military operation, which set off a chain of reactions and counter-reactions, ultimately leading to the destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines. Regardless of who is responsible for the attack, this means that Europe is cut off from cheap Russian gas for the foreseeable future. The UK is a major importer of both oil and natural gas, importing about 40% of its overall consumption. 
This was not always the case. The North Sea, which sits in between the UK and Norway, is rich with both oil and gas, with the UK controlling half of it and Norway the other half. Once deep-sea extraction became economically viable in the 1980s, both countries became very rich, and the UK became a net energy exporter. However, the UK's population is more than 10 times that of Norway, so they used up their North Sea reserves much more quickly. Technically, there's enough oil in the North Sea to last the country for hundreds of years, but the majority of it isn't hard to reach places, making it prohibitively expensive to extract. UK oil production peaked in the late 90s as the oil companies drilled the easily accessible reserves. As these reserves started to run dry, production declined rapidly. By the mid-2000s, the UK had turned from being energy independent to being a major importer of both crude oil and natural gas. At first it might seem that the UK should be far less impacted by a decrease in Russian gas flows, as there are no pipelines directly connecting Russia to the UK. Before the war, Russia only accounted for about 5% of the UK's natural gas imports, and 2% of total consumption. However, despite the fact that the UK does not share a land border with continental Europe, the UK and European gas markets are physically connected. Norway is a major supplier of natural gas to both the UK and EU, with pipelines going to both. Thus, the UK has to compete with energy-hungry Europe for the limited Norwegian supplies. Since prices are decided at the margin, this means that UK prices are always similar to European prices. In the UK, consumer natural gas prices are regulated. This means that there is a delay between changes in the market price of gas and retail rates that households pay. For the past few years, prices were set such that an average person would have to pay about £1,000 per year for natural gas for home heating and cooking. By the summer, it was estimated that this price would have to rise to £5,000 to compensate the utility companies for the skyrocketing wholesale prices. The bottom 20% of UK households make less than £25,000 per year. They would thus be asked to pay more than a fifth of their gross income on energy, a completely untenable situation. The previous government, under Prime Minister Boris Johnson, knew that they needed to do something. So they imposed a 25% windfall tax on UK oil and gas companies, in addition to the regular corporate taxes that they pay. They would use the money raised to fund fuel subsidies for low-income households. The problem is, the UK oil and gas industry has shrunk considerably as North Sea reserves depleted. The 25% windfall tax would only raise an estimated £5 billion, a tiny sum compared to the scale of the energy crisis. Furthermore, while windfall taxes help to generate revenue in the short term, they're almost always counterproductive in the long term. It's true that energy companies are making huge profits thanks to high prices. This makes them prime targets for government cash grabs. But when oil and natural gas prices are low, they also lose a lot of money. When prices tanked during the pandemic, the oil companies lost huge amounts of money and many of them went bankrupt. During these times, the government never stepped in to bail them out. But when they're finally making money again, the taxman comes looking for his pound of flesh. One of the reasons that many poor countries stay poor is because they have authoritarian governments that arbitrarily seize private assets. This disincentivizes foreign investment and ends up being a net negative for the economy in the long run. Of course, the 25% windfall tax isn't nearly as extreme as outright nationalization, but it pointed to growing desperation from the UK government. In September of 2022, Boris Johnson resigned in disgrace after it was revealed that he potentially violated COVID restrictions in 2020 by hosting parties at 10 Downing Street. He was replaced by Liz Trust. Within a few weeks of taking office, Trust unveiled a new budget proposal which had two main provisions. The first was a price cap on natural gas at £2,500 per year, or about half of the rate that it would be without a cap. 
The government can cap the end prices charged to consumers, but they can't cap the wholesale gas prices as much of this is imported. The utility companies still have to pay market prices for gas. The only way to keep them afloat is for the government to foot the bill. This scheme was estimated to cost the taxpayers £150 billion. At the same time, she also announced £45 billion worth of tax cuts. Truss's idea was that the tax cuts would cause a massive increase in economic growth, which would eventually pay for the short-term cost of the tax cuts and fuel subsidies. Of course, this was a fantastical idea that nobody believed. The financial markets did not take kindly to the Truss budget, and the British pound fell to $1.09, the lowest level since 1985. The trust budget also caused the UK government bond yields to increase substantially, as investors anticipated massive new government debt issuance to fund the tax cuts and spending. Such a sharp increase in bond yields would have a massively destabilizing effect on the economy, as most interest rates are based on the government bond yield. In an effort to stop the bleeding, the central bank made an emergency intervention, printing billions of pounds to support the market by buying bonds. While this succeeded in stabilizing the bond yield, the additional money printing will only add fuel to the fire of inflation, which is already running at 10%. The financial instability was incredibly embarrassing for Truss. She was forced to resign in disgrace on October 20th, just 45 days after taking office. This made her the shortest serving prime minister in the country's history. She was replaced by Rishi Sunak, who was considered to be more fiscally responsible. However, he still faces all the same economic problems that Trust faced, and there will be no easy solutions. Much news has been made by recent declines in natural gas prices across Europe in recent months. The price of UK natural gas futures for November of 2022 delivery has decreased to 185 pence per thermal unit. This is slightly below pre-war levels. Does this mean that Europe has successfully found alternatives to Russian gas and everything will be fine? The short answer is no. 185 pence is still almost four times normal levels, which sits at around 50 pence. In 2021, gas prices were already unusually high as a result of various European countries shutting down coal and nuclear power plants. This increased the demand for natural gas-powered plants. The gas crunch was supposed to be solved by the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which would allow for a significant increase in Russian imports. Now both pipelines have been destroyed, so there is no prospect of getting cheap Russian gas at any point in the near future. Spot natural gas prices have decreased over the past few months for a couple of reasons. First of all, Europe got lucky, with most regions experiencing unseasonably warm weather, which reduced demand for gas. Secondly, European nations have bought huge amounts of liquefied natural gas from places like the US and Qatar. LNG is far more expensive to travel than pipeline gas, but something is better than nothing. While the situation has improved significantly since the summer, the long-term outlook remains bleak. This is the futures curve for UK natural gas as of October 27, 2022. This shows the market's expectations for gas prices in the future. Prices are expected to increase to more than 300 pence per thermal unit this winter as temperatures drop. Over time, they will decrease to some extent as new LNG import terminals come online. But even by 2024, they're expected to sit at around 250 pence. Before 2021, prices averaged around 50 pence. This is also the price that would be consistent with £1,000 per year household gas bills without subsidization. This means that gas prices in the UK are expected to remain at about five times normal levels for the foreseeable future. This leaves the new government with a difficult option. They can either allow market prices to prevail and millions of UK households will be unable to heat their homes in the winter. Or they could implement a rationing scheme, which would divert gas from industrial purposes towards low-income households. 
This would cause a deindustrialization of the economy and a massive competitive disadvantage to UK industry. Whichever option the new Sunak government decides to go with, the UK is almost certainly in store for a cold winter, followed by a long and painful recession. You've been listening to the Wall Street Millennial podcast. Don't miss a minute wherever you go. Wall Street Millennial, signing out.